Hi there. I'm Jen Hill Christie, and you're listening to Preacher. This podcast is designed around the reality that many of our churches are shrinking because we haven't created a place where everyone can belong. So if you're seeing that reality in your own church, or you've experienced that and left the church, this podcast is for you. Welcome. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 7, and our title today is Two Daughters. First, I want to give a shout out to my friend Lauren, who reached out recently to encourage me and let me know that she's part of our podcast community. Friends, if you are of the praying sort, would you please offer them up for Lauren and her family? She's been battling cancer for a few years now, and she's married with two sweet girls. We are praying for a miracle. Lauren, thank you for reaching out, and for the rest of you, keep the notes coming. I love hearing from you. last time we were together, it was for dinner at Simon's house, where we witnessed a woman anointing, crying on, drying, and kissing Jesus' feet. We learned that she was doing this in love, because she was so grateful for the forgiveness she had already received. We've now come to expect the reversals that are so common in this Gospel of Luke, where Jesus shows us that the reality of God's community is the opposite of what we thought it would be. Not only is it not a problem that this, quote, sinful woman is having an intimate moment of public affection with Jesus, she's actually praised as the one who's being a good host. She is showing the hospitality to Jesus that Simon, the religious leader and owner of the home, should have been showing. We awkwardly listened in as Jesus called out Simon for being a bad host, for being judgy and not wanting this woman to be included. We cringed a little as Jesus explained the parable, in which the woman was the hero because she had a lot to be forgiven for, and therefore she showed a lot of love. We cringed because, as church folk, sometimes we like to think we don't need too much forgiveness. And we cringed because, although we don't want to find ourselves labeled as the sinful woman in the story, we know for sure we also don't want to be Simon. To move forward, we considered these questions. Will we choose to live in fear, in strict, no matter what, rule following, in focusing so much on our own righteousness that we can't help but judge others in all of their unrighteousness? Will we focus so much on how we think people should and shouldn't live, who should and shouldn't be forgiven, that we create places of inhospitality and exclusion? Or will we instead choose to live in love, letting love be our rule and guide, focusing so much on gratitude for the forgiveness we receive that we can't help but forgive others? Will we focus so much on who God is and how God is seen most clearly in the person of Jesus that we create places of hospitality and inclusion? I'm curious how all this is landing with you, so take a minute to send me an email and let me know. Our text for today is Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Just then there came a man named Jairus, a leader of the synagogue. He fell at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had only one daughter, about twelve years old, who was dying. As he went, the crowds pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from a flow of blood, For twelve years, and though she had spent all she had on physicians, 
No one could cure her. She came up behind him and touched the hem of his clothes, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Then Jesus asked, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and press in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, and I noticed that power had gone out from me. When the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher any longer. When Jesus heard this, he replied, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be saved. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. They were all weeping and wailing for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they mocked him, since they knew she had died. But he took her by the hand and called out, Child, get up. Her spirit returned, and she got up at once. Then he directed them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them to tell no one what had happened. Well, again, our story opens with Jesus surrounded by crowds. You know, by now, word is really spreading, so much so that when people know where he's going to be, they go all paparazzi and show up early to wait for him. They often show up for the healing and stay for the teaching, both of which, of course, have the power to transform lives. On this day, women are front and center. Our story features two daughters of God, menstruation, 12 years, sickness, death, and hope. We have a girl who is 12 years old the age that was customarily associated with menstruation, and a woman who has been bleeding from her lady parts for 12 years. See the connection? But, I mean, can you imagine what it might be like to deal with that nonsense? I mean, women friends. We have to endure this for a few days, once a month, and it's a pain. But to have that going on endlessly for 12 years... And to have spent all your money, maxed out all your credit cards with visits to medical specialists and procedures and pills and nothing works? Talk about hopeless. And by the way, you probably already know this, but the bleeding makes this woman ritually unclean. Talk about insult to injury. So she's not allowed to enter the temple. And those who are really strict about purity codes, they avoid any contact with her. They won't touch anything that she has touched. And the 12-year-old girl? Well, she's probably already engaged to be married. She's got a lot of life ahead of her, and now this sickness is threatening to take it all away. The girl is terribly sick on her deathbed, and unless she is healed, she won't ever go through this rite of passage by which she may one day bear children. This woman is terribly sick, and unless she is healed... She won't ever see the inside of the temple, God's home, and stand in God's presence. There are no doctors who can heal them. No magic pills or procedures or ointments. 
Things seem pretty hopeless. But today, today is their lucky day because God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, is coming through their town. And who wouldn't throw themselves at Jesus' feet, either for their own healing or on behalf of someone they love? It's Jesus' power, combined with the faith of the people, that heals these two women. Divine power and human faith, both are necessary. The story of the bleeding woman being healed, though, it's strange. It's different from most other stories of healing that we find in the pages of the Gospels. You know, most of the time, someone asks to be healed or asks for Jesus to heal someone they love. Sometimes he touches them. Sometimes he just speaks the healing into reality. But in the case of the woman whose body is completely turning against her, the healing is different. Instead of going to Jesus to receive healing, as most others do, she goes and takes it. She doesn't speak to him or even make eye contact. She squeezes through the tight crowd around him, stretches out her arm as far as it will go, and grabs the hem of his robe. As quickly as she touches it, she lets it go, hoping he didn't feel a tug. Immediately, she feels healing coursing through her veins. The bleeding is stopped, and she feels a rush like she has never known. The crowd continues for a few steps before Jesus stops and says, Wait! Who just touched me? The crowd is practically a mob around him. No sense of personal bubble whatsoever. Who just touched you? Um, everyone? But the woman, now a few feet back from the crowd, she has her hands over her belly, her womb, in amazement of what just happened. As Jesus is asking who touched him, she knows she has to come clean. Somehow, he felt it. Maybe not a tug on his robe, but but that rush that soared through her body, healing her instantly. Was that was that the power he felt going out of him, coming into her? How is this even possible? She comes forward and confesses to touching his robe. You guys don't know what this is like. It's been 12 years of constant bleeding. 12 years! All this time, you've stepped aside as I pass by, careful not to touch me. All this time, I haven't been able to bear children. All this time, I have been kept out of the temple. For twelve years, I have been in pain, going broke, trying to get better, and feeling like I am on the outside looking in. I just thought, I don't want to bother him. I mean, he's he's pretty busy with all the healing requests and the teaching and whatnot, but if I could just get close enough to touch him. No, like, not even touch his body. If I could just touch the clothes that he's wearing, maybe there's, like, some magic in there that could help me. There are so many stories of people who have been healed by this guy. People who were blind, who were possessed by a demon, who had leprosy or other kinds of sicknesses. I had to at least try. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it worked. I mean, it worked instantly. I knew it in my bones. I could feel the bleeding stop. And I knew it was finally over. A lifetime of suffering and living on the margins. Finally over. And you know what the most amazing thing is? I was expecting some kind of magic. And instead, it was Jesus' power combined with my faith? My faith that made it possible. I mean, that's how I was healed. It's unreal. 
Okay, so there are two things that we need to slow down and notice. First, it's Jesus's response. And second, we're going to talk a little more about just how bizarre these stories are. So first, Jesus's response. He stops and insists on identifying who was just healed. I mean, Jairus's daughter is actively dying. We're kind of in a hurry here. But Jesus is not. He knows something significant just happened, something huge, and we're all going to slow down and witness it. But even once the woman comes forward and identifies herself, he could just say, you're welcome, and then pick up the pace over to Jairus's house because, again, clock's ticking and there's no coming back from death, right? But he's still not in a hurry. In fact, he listens intently as she shares her story. The pain, the humiliation, the othering, what her life was like as an outcast, how desperately she longed to be healed, and how miraculous and immediate the healing was as soon as she touched his robe. He listens and does not interrupt. The crowd is leaning in close to hear. She has a story to tell, and Jesus has given her the floor. And when she's finished, what's Jesus' response? Well, powerful and humble as always. Again, he could have just said, you're welcome, or I'm so glad, gotta run. But he slows down and he affirms her by saying, it's your faith that healed you. And here's the second thing, the bizarre nature of these stories. You know, as far as stories of Jesus healing people go, these two are pretty weird. I mean, first of all, In what other story do we have someone secretly touching the clothes that Jesus is wearing and instantly receiving miraculous healing from their exact ailment? And in what other story do we have Jesus saying that someone who we all agree is dead is actually not dead but asleep? I mean, he wasn't lying, right? The verb there that's used for sleeping, it's sometimes used literally and sometimes used euphemistically to speak about death. So which way is he using it here? What does he mean? I think in these two brief stories, we are confronted with a hard truth about how Jesus operates both inside and outside of the laws of nature and what we know of and experience as reality. If we can accept that Jesus can lay hands on someone or speak a healing into existence, I think we'd probably explain that by saying he's using his divine power and his divine will to do so. You know, he's doing it on purpose. But to have someone secretly take a little bit of power from him without his knowledge beforehand or his permission and doing that just by touching the clothes that he's wearing that's a stretch. And we might believe that then, as well as now, Jesus can provide some supernatural healing for us and for those that we love. You know, maybe we've even witnessed it. But bringing someone's spirit and breath back after they have been declared dead? Uh, I mean, sure, medically, we've been able to resuscitate people, but not just by telling them to wake up. Bringing someone back from the dead feels like too much of a stretch. And if you're with me on this, it reveals how we're still trying to put him in a box. You know, I've been living with the scripture for the last three weeks, and I confess, I realize I've been putting Jesus as God in a box. Because we've accepted 
that he can defy the laws of nature in certain ways, but we've just like built this new box. Okay, Jesus, we get it. You can heal people and you can, you know, show your power in just these certain ways. But having someone covertly grab a healing from you? Uh, I don't think so. Telling a dead girl to wake up? I don't think so. I mean, how can it be that someone sick and desperate for healing can get it without even asking? How can this woman's faith, apart from Jesus' will and decision to do so, make her well again? Doesn't Jesus have to consider and choose and decide and direct his energy and his power to make someone healed? Isn't that how it works? And all of this has me wondering. If we were limited in our understanding of how Jesus heals people, where else might our understanding be limited? You know, there's this thread that's been running through the Gospel of Luke, a thread that says, what you thought you knew about who God is and how God works in the world and who's part of God's community and what really matters to God, you know, you didn't quite have that right. In fact, it's in a lot of cases, it's like the opposite of what you thought. And again, with these healing stories, we're confronted with the reality that Jesus acts in really unexpected ways. The rules aren't what we thought they were. So maybe, maybe we should stop drawing so many lines in the sand and stop finding so many hills to die on. Maybe, instead, we shift our attention to faith. You guys... The faith of this woman and the faith of the 12-year-old girl's parents, that, along with Jesus' power, is what created a miracle. And it's kind of blowing my mind. I mean, the woman, she wants to be healed so badly. She wants it more than anything in the world. And she has faith that Jesus can make it happen. And he can, but it's his power together with her faith. It's the same for the 12-year-old girl. It's Jesus' power combined with the faith of her parents that brings her spirit, her breath back into her body, bringing her back to life. And all of that has me thinking. The faith of the people in our stories, it was so strong that even the healings themselves deviate from the norm. They're bizarre. We didn't just have like the supernatural healing. It was like even more supernatural or something. And all of that has me wondering. What are we asking of God? And how is our faith these days? Are we asking for miracles in full faith that God can do it? Or are we holding back because deep down, we just don't believe God works like that anymore? Are we asking God to make a way for what we desire the most in full faith that God can do it? Or are we limiting ourselves and God by believing that we don't really deserve it deep down? Have we stopped asking for anything because we're afraid God won't come through or God won't say yes and our faith isn't strong enough to ride out that kind of disappointment? I mean, we see in all these stories that God has the power to do truly amazing things. God had that power back then and God still has that power today to do these things to and through and for us. But we've got to have faith that it's possible. What might be possible in our lives and in our churches if we took Jesus more seriously? If we look at what we think is dead and choose to have faith 
that Jesus can bring life to it, how, how would things change? What might the future hold if we focused less on rules and boundaries and expectations and more on faith? If we stretch out our arms and touch the hem of Jesus' clothes, having faith that a miracle is possible. If today you find yourself in the midst of doubt, questioning how God works in the world and in your life, wondering what might be possible, then may you lean into this truth that Jesus says later in the Gospel of Luke, and it's been repeated so often and bumper stickerized that it it might even sound trite, but it's true. What is impossible for us is possible with God. We don't have to understand how it all works, and we don't have to say that every possibility is going to work out, that every sickness will be healed immediately if we just have faith. Faith is that it's possible. This woman had faith that it was possible that she would be healed if she could just touch Jesus's clothes. And the parents had faith that somehow, in a way they couldn't understand or couldn't explain, their daughter could be brought back to life. So may we know and believe and live into this truth that what's impossible for us is possible with God. We don't have to get rid of all of our doubts. We just let faith have the final word that it is possible. If today you find yourself on the outside, without a seat at the table or a voice in the conversation, may you lean into the truth that you're always welcome in God's community. If you're one who bears the name minister, pastor, elder, shepherd, or you're considered a religious or faith leader, may you extend God's yes to those you might have said no to in the past. May you be emboldened and encouraged to honor the space that God has already created for all. If something in you was stirred today, reach out. Hearing from you helps to shape the future of this podcast and this community. You can always email me at jenhalechristie at gmail.com or connect on Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn at jenhalechristie. Thank you to all who have already emailed, texted, and connected through social media. Please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It lets me know you're part of this community, you find value here, and it helps others discover it. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.